Good morning and welcome to worship this morning. I invite you to stand if you'd like. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Uh, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together to worship you today. I pray that you would be pleased with the worship that we bring to you, God. And I uh, pray that you would open your word to us so that we can grow closer to you, so that we can be encouraged by your spirit. God, be with us in this place today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're welcome to clap to this beat if you'd like to. Of the Lord, 
there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Scripture reading is Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? This is the word of the Lord.
seated if you'd like to this next one we've we've done just a couple of times and i like to just picture myself during this song just sitting at his feet you know trying to picture his face the best that we can and sitting at his feet in his presence and just enjoying it
I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy Never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything, and more than anything that you can do. I just want you I just want you And nothing else And nothing else Nothing else will do I just want And nothing else Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, and nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, and nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else will do.
Thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. Um, I can't tell you how, how special this is to me. Before I get started, um, I made a commitment to the pastor of Emmaus Indian Church right down the street last week. I have a group of pastors that, that meet in my home uh, once a week, and uh, we got together this last week. Ray, you should have been here, brother. It, it got good, and... Uh, we began to do some worship and prayer, and while we were praying, one of the pastors just started kind of praying for revival from a cloud, and I mean, it, it just got good. You had to be there, but uh, at the end, Jerry Gray, the pastor down there, he looked at me and said, "Brother, we will stop in our church Sunday morning. We will pray for McLeod First Baptist Church. We will pray for you." And I said, "Brother, I'll commit to you. We'll do the same for you." So I'd like to do that right now. I'd also like to pray for us, and and uh, just the Lord would anoint me this morning to speak. But Jesse, you prayer just a minute ago just pretty much covered it. So thank you. Let's go to the Lord. And if you would just agree with me in your spirit, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. For you are mighty. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You created all the stars just by speaking. Billions, billions, trillions of stars. And you know everyone by name. You've named every star. You are so magnificent. And yet you care about us in this building this morning. You know every hair on our heads. You know every person that's here. You know every person that is at Emmaus Indian Baptist Church this morning. Father, we humbly ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would move in a mighty way this morning. That you would prepare all of our hearts to hear from you. That you would put, produce good soil in us. That the seeds of truth would grow. Father, I pray for Jerry Gray. I pray that you'd speak through him. Use him, Lord, to speak words of truth, words of life to your church in that house. Father, I pray that you'd speak through me words of truth, words of life to your people here in this building this morning. Father, we humbly ask for your anointing, your Holy Spirit to powerfully move every single person. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, your Son. Amen. I'm leaking too. <laughs> As Ray said, I, I have a history at this church. I was here. I grew up here. And uh, as a Ten-year-old boy in 1976, Daniel sitting right about where you were, uh, 
our pastor at the time was Larry Stafford, and uh, he he would preaching a message, like, and I think must have been about three weeks in a row he was preaching on this, must have been salvation message, because I felt that knock on my heart's door from the Lord. And uh, back then we had the pews, and we called it white knuckling, you know, when God's calling you, and and uh, I was grabbing that pew hard. I didn't want to, I wasn't willing to yield. And on the third week, uh, I finally yielded. And uh, I, after my grandmother passed away, we were going through her stuff, and we found the bulletin from April 4th, 1976. And my grandmother wrote in it, This day, Roger was saved and joined the church. And I had always, so I looked down, it was, it was really neat. I looked at the songs that, that they sang that, that day. And, and when the, the prayer, or the, I uh, can't see without my glasses, the um, invitation song, I'm like, I looked it up. And it wasn't the song that I remembered. It was wherever he leads, I'll go. And then, it, then that, the rust broke loose, and I remembered what happened. They sang that song, and back then we would—they would do an altar call every Sunday. I'm, I miss these benches, these altar benches that were here, because I remember I came came down the aisle and I walked up, and Larry was standing here, and I was probably right about here, and I said, "I want to be saved." And so he brought me over here, and we prayed, and uh, and and I didn't even know how to pray, really. Uh, he, he asked me some questions, and and I. I did, he said, you need to pray and ask Jesus in your heart. And I, I, I just froze. I didn't even know what to say. And he said, Roger, do you want to do this? I said, yes. And he said, well, if I lead you, can you repeat after me? I said, yes, sir. And so, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I believe you, Son of God. I believe you, Son of God. And he led me through a prayer. And if you ever wonder if that is, works, I can say it does. And uh, it stuck that day. But uh, honestly, I think, I think the moment I let go of that pew, and stepped out in the aisle. I think that's when it happened. I yielded at that moment to the Holy Spirit, to the call of God in my life. And so I came down forward. And, and so when I remembered, I thought, because the song that I remembered them singing was, I Surrender All. And so I was a little confused on that, but then I remembered what happened. He kept the invitation open. And we got to, when we sang all four verses, yep, four verses, the, the music minister started another song, and it was, I Surrender All. I'm sure glad he did. I'm glad that the pastor listened to Holy Spirit that day and kept calling. Somehow, maybe he knew. And so that was obviously a special day in my life. Fast forward for about, about four years later, I was 14. And I heard, once again, I heard the call of God for me to preach. He called me to preach. And I surrendered at the age of 14. Now, let's fast forward way further forward. I, I was in my mid to late 20s, 27, 28. And uh, Larry Sparks was our pastor here. And uh, we were talking one day and he found out that I had had a call to preach on my life at 14. He said, well, why aren't you preaching? I said, well, I guess nobody's ever really given me the chance. He said, well, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> so he let me preach from this pulpit. My first sermon ever was right here. And, and I preached about five times. And, and then um, some things happened. We got a new pastor here. And, and it, the, it was January 1st, 1995. And the new pastor was out that Sunday, and so they asked me to preach. And so that was the last time I preached in this house. Uh, I looked it up. It was 10,374 days ago. And that was, for those of you who are slow at math, that's 28 years and five months, shy two days. I, uh, it was the last time I preached in this house. And we went and we, we went to a church in Oklahoma City where my son-in-law is now pastor. And, you know, when I, when I got there, the, the devil 
spoke a lie to me. He could never come to Roger Tudor and say, Roger, you should just curse God. You should blame God for all your problems. You, you know, God's a bad guy. That, that ain't going to work with me. But what the devil was able to do was to convince Roger that Roger wasn't a good guy. And he started so subtly. What he said was, Roger, you know, you, worked, you were involved at church where McLeod, where you came from. I, I helped with the sound, I ran sound, and, and uh, I was discipleship training director. My wife, Kelly, was a nurse, preschool director. And, and the devil said, you should just take it easy. Just rest a little while. You're in a new church. You don't need to get in right away. You deserve a break. Yeah, I do. Then he says, you know, look at the speakers. This is a bigger church. They had some really quality speakers and quality uh, everything. And and the devil said, you know, you're not as good of a speaker as those guys. Scripture says it's unwise to compare ourselves one to another. And I violated that simple principle. And so that believing that little bitty lie and comparing myself to others and seeing myself as a less than was the beginning of the next 24 years of believing lies. Little bitty, almost imperceptible lies. You don't, you don't even catch them as a lie. And the next lie led to the next lie, to the next lie. You know, you're not good enough. Others can do it better. It leads to people don't really like you that much. In fact, if people really knew who you were, they certainly wouldn't like you. In fact, it's better if you just keep your mouth shut. Because anytime you speak, honestly, I was so bad. I told Kelly this one day. I said, you know, I'm so bad at influencing people. If I walked into a room full of people and tried to convince you guys that the sky was blue, half of you would probably change your mind and start thinking it was red just because I said it was blue. That's how messed up the devil had me thinking about myself. So for the next 24 years, I never preached again. I was called to preach at 14. Scripture says that the truth could set you free. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, if the truth will set you free, what will a lie do? It'll put you into bondage. And so Kelly had been for about two years. I was in. I was messed up. And in two years, Kelly had been trying to get get me to try something different, go to a, a new church. And so we we tried that. And and the very first Sunday we were there, the pastor spoke some words. He said in his message at one point, he said, "The truest thing about you is what God says about you. And if what you're believing about yourself." doesn't line up with what he says. Guess who's wrong? <laughs> it's not him. And wow, the light bulb came on. And just like 24 years earlier, when I heard, I heard that first lie of, you're not as good. You don't measure up. It'd be better. You know, they don't need you to speak. That first lie led me down a path of lies. This first truth started me on a path of restoration. And I decided that day that was true. What God said about me was truth. And I decided, you know, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, like 42 years at the time. I should probably figure out what God says about me. And so I began just basically fasting from all other information. I didn't listen to the news. I didn't listen to anything. And I just listened to Scripture being read to me. And I listened to a couple of pastors that I trusted their their uh, integrity in, in their preaching. And I listened to preachers just 24-7. Uh, and, and I just started to find out what God says about me. And it, I didn't set a time on it, but it turned out to be about 30 days of no false information coming into my head, listening to truth after truth after truth. And one day, I was, Sunday morning, I was getting ready for church, and I was listening to Pastor Steve Eden, uh, my pastor, preaching a message on audio 
while I'm getting ready to go to church where I'm going to go listen to Pastor Steve Heaton preach a message. And it was like, you ever in the wintertime when the snow kind of builds up and then the sun comes out and a big old sheet of ice comes sliding off the roof? You hear that noise, you're like, what is that? And you see this big old sheet of ice sliding off. That's what happened to me that morning. I was listening to the message of truth and it was like all of a sudden the truth was like the sunshine and the ice that slid off was like all the lies that over the 24 years I had allowed the enemy to pile onto my heart, made my heart cold. Music had died for me. Worship had died for me during this time. And it just slid off in a moment. And I remember just being so broken. I realized I'd wasted 24 years believing all this junk. And I just was, I was crying. And I was in the bathtub, a blue, a blue bathtub. I call it my blue bathtub experience. And, uh, and I just began to weep. And I said, Father, I am so sorry for all that I've done, all, all the wasted years. I said, will you please forgive me? I was broken. I was a broken man. I think I cried so much the tub went, got a little fuller. And I, I said, will you please forgive me? And this is what he said. He said, Roger, I already have. Just say thank you. Whoa. Thank you, Father. And so that was the beginning of the rest of my life. It's just been incredible. So uh, that was in the, the fall of 2018. February of 2019, I did a really big piece of stupid. And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into it right now, what it, what it was. But I was, it was a big piece of stupid. And I, I was so upset at myself and, and ashamed and asked for God for forgiveness. Of course, he forgave me. I promised I'd never do it again. And so I thought we're, he and I were good on this. And then about three or four days later, I, Saturday morning, I'm at a church where they're having a prayer, a prayer gathering. And the way they would do it, they'd kind of gather and then they'd just start, everyone just has their own quiet little private time. You can go kneel and pray. You can walk around and pray. You can sit there and pray, whatever. And everybody just has their private time of prayer. And then they come back together and the pastor will ask, you know, do anybody hear anything from the Lord you'd like to share with the group? And, and that's what we're doing. So I start, we start praying. I'm having a good prayer time that morning, and the Lord ruins my prayer time. He says, Roger, I want you to confess that to the church. No, 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 no. Honestly, first thing I'm doing, like, try to switch my thoughts real fast, like I didn't hear what he said, and start thinking about something else. And so for the next 30 minutes, the whole time everyone's praying, I'm arguing with God. Please don't make me do this. I'm new at this church. I want him to like me. And, uh, you know, God, you know I'm not doing it again. It's over. You forgave me. Why do I got to do this? And so uh, I argued, and so the pastor, we got together, pastor, does anybody hear anything from the Lord? And uh, every time he'd ask that, I'd, I'd fight and say, no, I wouldn't do it. So then after that was all over, he said, let's come forward, and we all gathered around the front, it was a big circle, and hold hands, and he's going to do the dismissal prayer. And I'm thinking, oh, I missed my chance. And then the pastor says, does anybody else have something they need to share? Okay. And then somebody started talking. They took my spot. I'm like, oh, no. So when he finished, pastor asked again, anybody else have something to say? And then, and then some ladies rudely took my spot and started talking. And I was just like, Lord, I'm so sorry. Okay, as soon as she's done, I promise I will, I will speak up and confess it. And I mean, she just, she didn't even finish the period on her sentence. Of this, and the pastor started praying the dismissal prayer. You know, dear Lord, you know, like my heart sank. I'm like, no. No, I gotta obey. But I've missed my chance. I'm new at this church, and now they everybody's ready to go, you know, saying the prayer, and I had ample opportunity. I don't want to do it now. And so, but I've just panicked. I'm like, you know, just just not fear, but just remorse. That's what it was. Remorse. And so when he finished praying and said, Amen, I just all I could do, I I had to say something, and I all I got out was, 
oh, I can't do this. <laughs> the pastor's like, Roger, you got something you want to share? And uh, I said, I'm not going to be Achan. And if you know the story in the Bible where Achan was the guy who violated God's word and, and the whole camp of Israel was, was punished because of one man's sin. I thought things are happening good at this church. I'm not going to be that guy who disobeys God. So I, I confessed. Of course, the church forgave me. But I, I can say, you know, God's word is true. He says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I humbled myself that day. And from that day on, I started hearing God's voice more clearly, more loudly than I ever had my entire life. I've always been a sincere Christian, and it always bothered me a little bit. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. And I'm thinking, I, I think I do, but I'm not sure. But I think I But that day, it changed for me. And Holy Spirit started talking louder to me. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So, I, so after that, uh, my life really changed. Um, one of the things I learned about me when I was doing all that study, and, and from that day I started seeking him, uh, you know, spent 30 days seeking him, and now he's hum humbled me, and I'm, I'm hearing his voice. And, and the things that he taught me about myself was that uh, if you go to Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27, it's Jesus, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our image. That's twice. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, So God created man, here we go again, third time, in his own image. In the image of God. <laughs> Are we getting the point? God really wants us to know why he made humans. Our image, our likeness, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created, created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's God's purpose for us. We were made to be in his image. The devil comes to destroy everything God does. God made us to be in his image. The devil works very, very hard to get us to beat ourselves up. Has anybody else besides me ever heard that voice that says you're not good enough? Yeah. Where does that voice come from? It's not from God, the devil. He tries really hard to get us to, to not see what our purpose is. That's been our purpose from the very beginning. God never changed his purpose for mankind. That's why Jesus came, to restore that which was lost. We were separated from God. One of the, some of the things I learned, let's see, uh, I was made to, to represent Him on earth. I was made to shine. I was made to be in a relationship of love. I love that song we had a while ago, right before I came up. Thank you, brother. Holy Spirit led you on that. A relationship of love is what we were, it's what you were made for. The devil tries to get you to just pray a prayer so you can go to heaven someday. He tries to stop that, but then let's get it just to, Let's make it a bare minimum. Just pray a prayer, but forget the relationship, okay? It's never, Jesus never presented the gospel, say a prayer so you can go to heaven. Jesus said, die daily, take up your cross and follow me. He set the example for us, follow me. What did Jesus do? Uh, Philip, Philip said, you know, Jesus, show us the Father. Philip, have you been with me so long and you, you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He came to be the example to show us what a human, 100% man, looks like when they're 100% yielded to God. I was made 
to love because that's what God does. Jesus showed us that. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus said, greater, man, greater love hath no man than he laid out his life for his friend. And then he went and demonstrated it. Stretched out his arms and died for his friends. People were spitting on him. They would beat him beyond recognition. The whole time, he was still God. He had the authority at any moment. He, he had the authority. He could have turned to that Roman soldier and said, hit me one more time. Come on, hit me one more time with that stick. I'll crush your whole stupid little army. He could have done that, but he couldn't have because he was love and love never fails. He came for that purpose to die and love wouldn't let him fail that mission. He loves us. That's who he is. And we were made into God's image. He came to restore what was lost, that fellowship, so that we could fulfill our purpose of being love. Isn't that the greatest commandment? Jesus said so. Our king, the one we follow, said that the greatest commandment is to love God with your whole heart, everything in you. And the second is the same, love others. You know what love the description of love in the Bible, love never seeks its own. Never seeks its own. I think the devil's come and, and distorted our, our understanding of love. He's perverted it. You know, the more valuable something is, the more likely it is to be counterfeited. You don't counterfeit $1 bills. Exactly. Counterfeit the, the valuable stuff. So is it any surprise that the devil has done a number in our society in, with, amongst humans on our understanding of love? It's been perverted. Now, Christians, we've seen that for years. In Hollywood, the, we know the world's got a, a mixed up understanding of love. Okay, maybe someday I can share with you guys some of the incredible things God taught me about love. There's not time today. What time is it? Where's, where's my, is my phone? Over, where's my phone? I just, need, I just need no time. There's no clock. Now, Ray told me earlier he wouldn't t that I could. I see it now. Thank you. He said he di didn't tell preachers how long to preach. So I think I've got an open-ended thing here. So get comfortable. Now, I'll try to be respectful. Um, God started teaching me about love after he, I started hearing his voice so clearly. Uh, just in my prayer time, you know, years ago, I tried to have a prayer time because I felt like it was my duty. But even more than that, even I, I had a sincere heart. I really wanted to. But, you know, I'm praying. I've been praying a long time. Has 15 minutes up yet. Oh, it's only been five minutes. Uh, now what do I pray for? Um, you know, that's it, it, it was painful. But. Oh, my goodness. When I fell in love with God, I look forward to spending time with him. It's not me talking to him. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. And so he started teaching me all kinds of things about love. <sighs> Maybe someday we can talk about it. But that one particular day, I'm in the blue bathtub. That's my prayer closet, guys. You know, you, Jesus said to go in and shut the door. You know, but I do even better. I go and shut the door. And then I get in and I draw the curtain. And, it, it, you know, the whole I, I'm I'm. I'm in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> uh, take off your feet for it's holy ground. I, I go beyond the, just, or take off your shoes, not your feet. <laughs> take off your shoes, it's holy ground. I take off a lot more than my shoes. It's a holy place for me. So I'm in, the, in my prayer closet and, and I, God's teaching me all kinds of things about love. And I just was so filled with love, I can't explain it that day. And I just wrote something super simple in my journal that day. I said, today my goal is to operate through Love, from love, in love. That's all I wanted to do that whole day. I mean, I was full of love because he had taught me. And I remember it was a Sunday morning again. And I, I went to church and as I, we were getting out of the car, parking lot, I'd see a person across the parking lot and I was loving them 
with every fiber in my being from across the parking lot. They didn't know it, but I'm, I'm, I'm loving that person. I'm loving that person. Getting in the auditorium, I'm loving every single person. That's just where I was that day. God got me there. And we're worshiping, having our praise time. And God snuck up behind me right over here. And he spoke to me. I guess it wasn't audible because Kelly didn't hear it. Nobody heard it around me, but man, it was loud. And he said, Roger, you are no longer a slave of pain. And then he paused and then he said, you're no longer a slave of fear. What you don't know is that I've had back problems since I was in high school. In my younger years, my 20s when I was here, nobody knew. But I've had back problems for years. And I got into my 33 and it started getting worse. I talked to a doctor and I said, why is this? He said, well... You know, you've always had this in your neck. And, and he just said, um, you're getting older and your body can't, can't co- compensate for it as well. Can't handle it. And so they said they could do some surgery, but they have to go through the throat, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't do it. And so I, I just dealt with it for a while. About 36, I'm like, I got to do something. So I started seeing a lot of doctors trying to find out if anybody could help me. And found one doctor that understood what was happening. He could articulate it to me. So I knew he knew what he was talking about. And uh, he started giving me some manipulation, and then they started giving me some pain medicine. And so for the next 17 years, I was on narcotic pain medicine every single day. And the last two years of that, I, I had been on uh, 10 milligram hydrocodone, taking four to five, maybe sometimes six a day. I was taking three or four muscle relaxers. What was it? Three? Three muscle relaxers, 12 ibuprofen. And an antidepressant, because that can help with pain. And I was kind of depressed, too. And remember, I was messed up at this point in time. Well, actually, well, when they started me on, I was messed up. By this point in time, I've been, I've been healed, <laughs> redeemed. It, it was like being born again again. And so on this day, he says, Roger, you're no longer a slave of pain. You're no longer a slave of fear. I'm like, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not going to hurt anymore? What, I, think I'm, I think it means I'm healed. Uh, you know. And so the song that the worship team was Lead ended, and the very next song that came, they started doing was, I'm no longer a slave of fear. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm bawling. I, got, I cry a lot. So anyway, so I'm bawling and just worshiping Lord. They're singing, I'm no longer a slave of fear. And I'm singing, I'm no longer a slave of pain. After the service was over, I went up and told my pastor what had happened. Well, I went up to tell him that. And I, just, I walked up, and when I spoke, instead of what I thought I was going to say, what I said was, I need to be anointed with oil. And he said, okay. And so they prayed for me, anointed me with oil. And I said, I no longer need these pills. And I t- took this pill container out of my pocket. There's my phone. Ha, found it. And uh, I said, I no longer need these pills. And from that day on, I never took another pill. I never had any more pain. And I had no withdrawals. You can't take narcotic pain medicine, especially that much of it, for 17 years every single day. Glory, you used to be a nurse, right? Is that physically possible? To No. You can't stop that and not have withdrawals. Kelly, did I have withdrawals? <laughs> no, I did not. God healed me on that day. I wasn't even praying for healing. Now, I've asked, I thought, why did God heal me that day? You know what I think? I think God took out his highlighter and just highlighted that day of my life to say, Roger, I want you to remember what you're doing that day. You were focusing on love. I was all about love that day. God is all about love. He always has been. I wish I could go into what love is all about. Okay. So, um, so I started hearing God's voice. And one day, I get out of my prayer closet. And I come in for breakfast. I open the refrigerator. I open the refrigerator up. And Holy Spirit says, Roger, you should fast. I said, okay. How long? 
He said, let's take it one day at a time. Okay, yes, sir. Shut the refrigerator. And I started fasting. Now, I, I always hated fasting. I'd only fasted two times, really, before that. And both times I got a bad headache. The first time was your fault, Miss Evelina. Not the headache, but the fasting. Do you remember we did the uh, Passover Seder? It did, uh, didn't you have, instigate that a lot in our church? Yeah. And so we, I think the church fasted. I don't remember how long we fasted. Do you remember? We fasted probably 24 hours, you know, if, and I, that thought that was going to kill me. And then we came up here and had that, the, the Passover Seder meal. And so I, I've remembered that. Uh, and I enjoyed that, but the fasting I wasn't too keen on. And then that tried fasting one more time, and that's not for me. So this day, God says, Roger, you should fast. And the Holy Spirit says, you should do something. Yes, sir. And so I started fasting. And uh, the, about, about nine, nine or ten days into it, now, Kelly, bless her heart, she's, she's so sweet. She would always try to eat when I wasn't around or try to cook foods. It didn't have a lot of smell. And I came in from my office. I, my office is right next to the house. And I came in, and oh, my goodness, Kelly had cooked something. And it had so much fragrance in the house. I'm like, wow. And she's like, oh, I know. I'm so sorry. I try not to do that. I said, no, no, no. It surprised me. I was like, this is really delightful. I'm enjoying this. You'd think if someone hadn't eaten a long time and they smell food, you're going to be like, i got to have it. It, it, was, it wasn't. Weird. It was. It was delightful, and so I was. I was surprised by that. Well, I had to. I had to run to the city to do a delivery, and on my way back, I stopped at on cue to get gas. Again, I'm fasting, so I'm drinking a lot of water, so I have to go to the bathroom a lot. So I go into the on cue to go to the bathroom, and I walk in the door, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, they got all those hot dogs and hot links and sausages they're cooking, you know? And I could smell them. Your 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 senses go way up. They're heightened. And I walk in, I'm like, wow. And I'm like, <sighs> I'm smelling. You know, look up, there's these two guys staring at me like, what's this guy doing sniffing the hot dogs? <laughs> it's just that they smell really good. So anyway, so I went, 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 got home. I came in and I wanted to get some cool water in the refrigerator. Kelly had some cool water in there for me. So I opened the refrigerator and I see all of his food on the shelves in the refrigerator. And I had the idea. I wonder if I'm allowed to smell these, this food. Father, can I smell this food? And he said, yes. I was like, yeah. So I opened every single container in that refrigerator that day. I opened, we had some, we had two different sour creams for some reason that had both been opened. And I opened two different brands of sour cream. I could literally smell the difference in the two different brands of sour cream. I smelled everything in that refrigerator for the sake of time. I, I'd like to go down the list and just kind of get your taste buds going so you can kind of get the feeling of what I felt that day. Uh, there was fresh garden cantaloupe. Our neighbor, Tina, had given us some cantaloupe and Kelly had diced it up and put it in the refrigerator. Oh, it was so amazing. Some fresh garden tomatoes that were on the side of ripe and Kelly put them up, sliced them in there. If you like tomatoes, I'm like, oh my goodness, garden fresh tomatoes. So I smelled everything in that refrigerator. It was, it was a delightful experience. And I went to shut the door and my eyes caught and the door was full of stuff. Mustard, pickles, you know, must listen, you should go home. When you get home, open the refrigerator, get your mustard out and smell it. I'm telling you, it's incredible. There were different kinds of mustard, different kinds of pickles. Every single thing had a very unique fragrance, okay? And so just when I'm fixing to close the door, the Holy Spirit said, Roger, you can, he said, you can have one bite of each food. Keep in mind, it's been like nine or ten days since I've had anything. And I, I sampled everything. I had 
some of both sour creams. I had a little bite of everything in that refrigerator, including the mustard and the different pickles. Every single food had a unique flavor. And then as I'm just finishing up, the Holy Spirit said, Roger, do you know why each food has a unique fragrance and flavor? And I said, why, Lord? He said, it's because of what what it's made of. The way I made it gives it its unique fragrance and flavor. And then he said, he said, this is how I am with my people when they pray. Every single person is unique, uniquely designed by me. Every person's prayer has a unique fragrance to me. And if they're not praying, I miss out on that flavor. If that cantaloupe hadn't been in that refrigerator that day, I would have missed out on that incredible fragrance and flavor. If the tomato hadn't been in there, I'd, I guarantee you, I can speak with authority here, God is more crazy about your fragrance, your one-of-a-kind fragrance and flavor. He delights in that more than I delighted in that food that day. He wants to have a relationship with every one of his children. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Our, the three in one, God, the holy, eternal relationship of love. It's, a, it's, it's always been, always will be, a relationship of pure love. The Holy Spirit loving the Father and the Son more than himself. Fa- Father loving Son and Holy Spirit more than himself. Jesus loving Father and Holy Spirit. More than himself, because that's what love does. It never seeks its own. It's always an energy outward for the benefit of the other. That's what love is. We were called, we were created to be a part of that relationship. A relationship of love, of uniqueness. No one else can take your place. You matter. Daniel, you matter to God. When you don't pray, he misses out. George, when you pray, God loves it. He loves you. He loves, he knows every hair on your head. He, how many you have, which means he's got to be watching you at all times because he knows when one falls. He knows whenever sparrow falls. He wants a relationship. That's what it's always been about. A relationship with the one true God. What was the scripture reading this morning? What was that? Did you see it? Uh, yeah, Deuteronomy. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God. And why do we need to fear him? Because it's good for us. Fear the Lord your God by walking in his ways. To love him. To serve him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep commandments and statutes. The Lord, the commandments and statutes of the Lord that I am giving you this day for your own good. That's what love does for the benefit of others. Can I have just a little bit of extra time? Okay. Ray, Ray already said I could, so it's his fault. Blame him if you don't like this. <laughs> One more story I've got to tell you. One time when I was fasting, towards the end of a long fast, I think it was a different fast. I mean, I was almost completed this fast. And uh, the Lord the Lord had been putting something on my heart. I don't know why, if anyone else is like me, but I'm slow to, to obey sometimes. And uh, I, had made a, I had made a business commitment that I didn't want to make, but it... it Felt like, kind of felt pressured into it. The guy basically was going to try to wreck my business if I didn't agree to it. And, and that was my, my view of it anyway. And so I had agreed to pay him a certain amount of money every month for some for, for intellectual property. And I never believed that, that it was a fair deal for, for me. And every month I was bitter about it. And I'd write that check. And it turned out to be about $1,000 a month that I'm paying this guy for, in my opinion, basically nothing. 
Um, and so I, I'm bitter on it. Well, then COVID happens, and I get a phone call from my customer who says, hey, we're, we're shutting this down. We're not going to do this anymore. And just like like overnight, I, I lose my business. And then mid-2020, I talk to him, and, and the, my customer agrees to, to do one more year's worth of business with me. I'm thinking, that's good. It'll give me, give me a year of income to try to get my all my affairs in order so that I'm not in a, in a vulnerable place. And then when they said, we'll start doing business again, they need, they need um, you know, the product right now. So I'm behind, so I, I make the product, and then as soon as I deliver it, I'm ready to start the next month's product. Every month I'd give them uh, this product. So in, in, in all of that, I forgot to send this guy his, his money, and no one's ever said anything. And I didn't think I should have paid him anyway. In fact, the only reason I paid him was because to, so I wouldn't lose my business. Well, I'm already losing my business. I'm not going to pay him. And uh, it's $1,000 a month. And I, right now, I'm losing my business. I need every dollar I can keep and, and store up. So I didn't do it. So I'm fasting, and the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, Roger, you need to pay that money. And by this point in time, it's been 12 months. That's $12,000 that I'm going to give to a guy that I don't think he even deserves it. And the only reason I did it was because he threatened me. And I need the money. Roger, you need to pay that. You gave your word. So I, 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 I wrestled with it for a little while. So I'm fasting. And one night I had a dream. I don't know if it was a dream or a, a vision. I, it, it was more real than me standing here right now. The, it was more intense. It, it was unlike any dream I've ever had. I think it was a vision while I was sleeping. And what happened was I, my customer that... that that I was no longer going to do business with, the one I liked, not the guy I was paying money that I didn't like, but my customer was Hobby Lobby. So in this dream, I'm at Hobby Lobby. My wife and I were shopping, and uh, we're up at the checkout lines to check out. You know, all the registers are lined up, right? And so she's going to check out. Well, I've got to go to the bathroom. I don't know why all my great things from God come in with the bathroom. I don't know why. But anyway, I have to go to the bathroom, and uh, it, in this dream vision, whatever it was, I the the toilet is right in the middle of all of the checkout lines without any walls. And it's, it's turned sideways. I don't I still don't know if that means anything. But so but I gotta go. And, and so apparently this is just the way it was done because I had to go and nobody would watch because that would of course be rude. So nobody's looking at me. But I'm I'm going to the bathroom and and there's a lady she's waiting to come go next. But I mean she's not watching so that's okay. But I'm feeling kind of insecure here, vulnerable, you know, and sorry, but I got to share this. I had to go number two. Okay. And so I go to get the toilet paper and I pull the toilet paper off the roll. And you remember that old credit card paper that was that thermal transfer stuff that was that thick, waxy feeling papers, you know, stiff and shiny. That's what the toilet paper was. And I pull the paper off and I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work real well. And so I, I'm thinking, now what am I going to do? And, and so I'm, I'm frustrated, you know. And so then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm out in the parking lot and we're getting in the car. And Kelly gets in the front seat to drive and I get in the back seat right behind her. And then some guy gets in the front seat that apparently we knew. I don't know who he was. but he, So I guess that's not significant. But Kelly... And, and this guy are, are communicating in the front seat, and I'm in the back. Now then, I'm 100% deaf in my right ear. I have been since I was seven, and uh, never heard a, a thing. I have this hearing aid that uh, picks up sound, but it doesn't make this ear hear. It just takes the sound from my deaf side 
puts the vibrations in my bone, my skull, and the vibrations carry over, and my, my good ear picks up that sound, right? So I'm always, I've been 100% deaf my whole life. So in this dream, and what happens in real life is there's a conversation. So I miss a lot of words that are said, but I've gotten somewhat good at filling in the blank. You know, if they're talking about barking and, and he wagged his tail, I can pretty much feel, realize that word I missed was dog. And so, but sometimes I miss a, too many words or a key word that I don't know. And by missing that word, I can't fill in the blank. I can't, I can't figure out what the conversation is about. So I need just that one word, right? So I don't know why I still try it. It's been 40 years, 50 years. Oh my goodness, I'm old. It's been 50 years. And, and I still try this sometimes. I'll interrupt the conversation because I can't, it's kind of like getting lost in the math precepts, you know? If you get lost, you get the, the math class runs off without you. So I'll interrupt and say, try to get that one word. I don't want the whole story again because I got most of it. I just need the one word that's missing, right? And so I'll try to get them to tell me that. Well, it never works. I don't know why I try Because they don't know the word I'm needing. And so they'll go back and they'll try to tell me the whole paragraph again. And I don't want the whole paragraph. I just want the word, one word, so we can save time. So that happened in this dream. They're talking. I miss a word. And I try to interrupt the guy to find out that one word. But instead, just like always, instead of him hearing my question and answering that one word so we can go forward, he goes back and tries to tell me the whole thing. Well, I don't want to do that this time. I'm already irritable. I was in the bathroom and had an unpleasant experience. I'm, 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 still, I'm still irritated. And, and so I try to interrupt him. And then he interrupts me. And I interrupt him. And he interrupts me. And my, I start redlining. I'm, I'm getting more and more frustrated. And finally, I just yell, fine, just go ahead. Tell me what you want to tell me. Could have saved time if you just heard my question. But fine, you just go ahead. And so I look down and I realize... I'm still holding that toilet paper. I still haven't taken care of cleaning myself up. And that's right. Actually, I had realized that just before that. So that's part of why I was irritated. So now I look down and I've tried to clean myself up. And now my hand, I was right. Toilet paper, the wax paper didn't work. And now my hands are disgusting. I've got a mess, garbage all over my hand. I've, so I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm disgusted by what's on my hands. And then I realized nobody in the car is saying a word. You know, when dad blows up, all of a sudden all the kids come, that whole house is quiet. And so I'm thinking that's what happened. And I look up and I'm like, really? Really? I finally yield and let you have the floor so you can say what you were going to say. And now you decide to shut up? I mean, I was redlining. Anybody ever been there? And so I look up and, and the guy is like hiding behind the seat or something. Because I don't even, he's like, I'm like, he's not there. He's like hiding. And I look over at Kelly and she's driving, but she's hiding too. I'm like, what are you guys even doing? So I grab the seat with my clean hand and I pull and look over like, what are you doing? And they're gone. They're not even in the car. And in a split moment, I realized what had happened. The rapture had happened and I had been left behind. They were gone and I had been left behind. And I do not have the words to explain to you what that felt like. I don't have those words. It was the most sickening, fearful, hopeless, ugh, agonizing feeling I've ever had. Take your worst fear, your worst agony, all of that, and ball it up into one. Put it in the pit of your stomach, and that's exactly how I felt in that moment. Uh, I'm in a car, traveling down the road without a driver. I'm in the back seat. I don't even care about that. I distinctly remember just kind of in shock with this horrible, horrible feeling of fear. And, and I leaned back, and I remember looking out the right window as stuff is going by. And just being in shock and thinking, I, 
I'm a faker. I'm one of the, I'm one of the fakers. And all I could do was to scream. And I just raised my hands as just to let out a blood curdling scream. And at that moment, Kelly wakes me up. She said, Roger, are you okay? Yeah. I said, I think I was about to scream. She said, yeah, it was just coming out. And so I shared with her what had happened. And eventually we turn out the lights and I try to go back to sleep. Uh, my adrenaline's high. My adrenaline's off the charts. I can't, again, it's more real than us standing, us being in this room right now. It was so real. And I remember praying. I said, Father, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that I'm not yours? And I'm one of the fakers? Is that what you're telling me? And this is what he said. He said, Roger, that's not what I'm telling you. He said, what you experience is a very real experience that many, that many will have on that day. He said, that's not your experience. But I, he said, I need your hands to be clean. I need you to be a clean vessel so I can use you so that you can go and tell the people what I've shown you today. The scariest verse in the Bible is in Matthew. There's a couple passages in Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I guarantee you his will is that you love, that you be a person of love, that you look like him. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Are those not the scariest words? These are, these are people who were in the church doing things in Jesus' name. Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Other passage in Matthew 25, uh, 1 through 12. Then the, king, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened, is, this is what it's going to be like, to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus said, I'm coming soon. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, the cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there, be, there should not be enough for us in you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterwards, here we go. Afterwards, the, the other versions, the five foolish ones, came also, saying, Lord, Lord. They're calling him Lord. Open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I've come to recognize in my studies of the word that God does not use numbers carelessly. Numbers are very significant. Significant, And I've seen so many incredible connections with numbers that I'm convinced there's not a single number. The, the 153 fish, I think that was, that, I don't know what that number means yet, but I'm, I'm convinced it's significant. I don't think it was just a happenstance. I'm convinced when Jesus said, Five wise, five foolish, five were ready, five weren't. I'm convinced on that day, uh, half of the people who go to church and they're looking for his return. The, the ten virgins were looking for the return of the bridegroom. They were looking for it. They call him Lord, Lord. But I believe, I believe 
half of the church on that day are not ready. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not that many. Because I don't want anybody to experience what I experienced in that dream. It is The world, they're not going to know. But the people who are going to know are the ones who were in church. They were playing. They didn't have that relationship with God. A relationship of love. The relationship that song talked about a while ago. Do you have that relationship with Him? Do you spend time with Him? Please don't play games. Please don't play games. Well, I've gone a little long here. But just like when I was a 10-year-old boy, then the pastor extended the invitation time. to this. We went to the second song, which gave me time to make a commitment to Him that day. For a little long, but I'm gonna, I want to extend an invitation to you right now. If you have never made a commitment to the Lord at all, you've never said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. If there's anybody in this house that hasn't done that, today is a great day to do that. Just like when I didn't commit my big piece of stupid to the church and I didn't confess it. And I waited and waited. And when I finally did, the church said, they forgave me. You're amongst friends right here. If there's anybody in this house right now that has never surrendered your life to God, would you indicate that right now just by raising your hand? We're not going to bow our heads. We're not going to look down. If you can't stand up for God in a friendly place, you'll never stand up for Him in a hostile place. Is there anybody that this morning you'd like to do that? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Is there anybody in this house today that would say, Roger, I have surrendered to Jesus, just like you did as a 10-year-old boy. I have. I know him, but I don't know him the way that you're talking. I don't hear his voice that clearly. I want to hear him better. Is there anybody in this house that would say, I want to hear him better. I want to know him better. I want to be more dedicated to my Lord. I don't want to just die and go to heaven someday, but I want to be sold out your whole heart to God. Is there anybody in here that would say, this morning I want to recommit my life and I want to I want to know him better. Would you raise your hand if there's anybody in this house? Thank you. Anybody else would say, I don't know him the way that sounds like you do, Roger. I don't hear him that much. Okay. Thank you. All right. The, we're going to sing a song. And just when I, like, when I was a little boy, we opened up the altars. I remember time, times when, when the altar was full. We don't have the prayer altar anymore. But these steps work just fine. We're going to sing a hymn right now. And while we do, I'm asking everyone in here, to search your hearts. And if you've got any business at all that you'd like to do with the Lord, don't just stay there. That day that I came forward, I could have made that commitment and stood there, but I know there was a significance in the, the act of walking forward. It put it put a mark on my life that day. Kelly, you want to come up to the preschool director here and had been saved. But one day she said, I need to make it public. I need to make it. Uh, she didn't have a, a date on the calendar, a birthday. And she came forward and, and Bill House was the pastor at the time. And he counseled her in his office and he gave her a piece of art to, to mark on that day. That, so she would know this happened on a specific day and time that I, I gave my life to God. And so I, I'm just going to encourage you to come forward this morning at the altar. You don't have to, but why not? Come forward, make that. If you raise your hand, would you come forward and do this for God? And if you didn't raise your hand, you still want to be
Surrender. 